The podcast is supported by Premier Knitting Club, a registered New Zealand charity and virtual tribe of knitters providing knitted items and fundraising for neonatal intensive care units in New Zealand. I'm Courtney, I was a Premier myself and I run Premier Knitting Club. When we donate knitting to the NICU, families are given knits for them and their baby to treasure forever and keep. And we always need knitters to help us. If you have family members or friends who are knitters and want to help, you can find Premier Knitting Club New Zealand on Instagram or Facebook. We've also included the website in the show notes. We love that Niku Mum podcast and are proud to support it. Hi everyone, welcome to that Niku Mum, a podcast where we share the stories of New Zealand parents who have had a baby in a neonatal unit across the country. My name's Shan and I'm the host of... Um, this podcast. Um, I'm a mum of three boys, uh, ex 32 weeker twins, Bo and Luca, and our full term singleton, Angus. Um, and I started this podcast kind of because I found that there was a real lack of stories about um, NICU experiences that weren't, you know, clinical and um, straightforward and positive. Because um, obviously for everyone that's not the case so I really wanted to start a podcast so we could share those stories in and you know in a safe place um where people could feel like they were able to say what they needed to say about their experience without fear of repercussions um so yeah that's me um anyway today's episode we are speaking with Ashley um her boy Freddie was born in July 2022. He was a late preterm, so he was 36 weeks, um, which is what they call late preterm. Uh, so she had, in the scheme of things, quite a short NICU stay, but it was still a NICU stay and she still struggled. Um, and Freddie still struggled with a few things that a lot of prem babies struggle with. So um, yeah, I'll let her tell her story um, and get into it. Um, do you want to just start off introducing yourself and your family? Yeah, sure. So um, my name's Ashley. Um, my family is my husband, Jeremy. Um, we've got an eight-year-old dog called Richie um, and our 13-month-old NICU baby, our son, Freddie. Um, we live on the North Shore in Auckland. Um, we are really lucky to be super close to both of our families, so both sets of grandparents mm. and um, both of our siblings and their kids as well so um definitely cool. yeah we're the same family is around so, a lot. especially when you especially when you've had a NICU baby it's like just being able to have that support close is is so good yeah a hundred percent we actually um for the first maybe like 10 months of Freddie's life we were living with my parents um just oh, yeah. a chance of timing we we're renovating our house so um that was honestly amazing it's really nice yeah, to be home now yeah. Yeah, I can imagine. Um, so Freddie was born at 36 weeks, so he was a, yep. a late preterm. Yeah. So they don't know why you gave birth early? No, um, no idea. So um, I guess this is like jumping ahead a wee bit, but um, I just, my waters broke one day when I was out walking the dog at 35 and 6. Mm -hmm. I hadn't had anything throughout the pregnancy to indicate that I would have him early and I'd actually had a scan that morning that was totally normal mm. and showing that he was going to stay in so no idea what happened but um, that said we have a family history of premature births so my sister was born at 28 weeks right. and I was born at 
I think 35 and something. So yeah, I don't know whether I just take after my mum in terms of not being the greatest <laughs> baby carrier. I guess second time around we'll tell at some <laughs> stage. Um, but yeah, so I kind of, in my mind, I knew that prematurity was a thing and that not mm. every pregnancy went to like 40 or 42 weeks. So that was probably yeah, a positive yeah. in that. It wasn't probably as much of a surprise as it is for some people. Yeah. So do you want to go back and just talk us through your pregnancy? Obviously, it was quite straightforward. You had nothing. Yeah, yeah. So um, pregnancy was pretty straightforward for me. It was, I would say it was fine. Um, The pregnancy was a surprise. So my husband and Mm -hmm. I were planning to have a baby, I guess, like reasonably soon. Um, but yeah. it just happened a little bit quicker than would have been ideal. Um, so we you were. Sound like that's exactly our situation <laughs> as well. <laughs> we were um, engaged at the time, um, and we were meant to get married yeah. in September 2021. Um, yeah. I had been on birth control forever, like everyone else, and my doctor had mentioned a few times that maybe I had PCOS. So in the back of my mind, mm-hmm. I was always like, oh, it might take a while to get pregnant. It might not be super easy. Um, yeah. So I got my IUD out maybe in like June or July to kind of give my body a couple of months before we got married to mm. get back into a cycle. It got back into mm. the most regular cycles straight away. So my doctor was yeah. kind of like, oh, maybe you don't have PCOS after all. That might have just been a yeah. age thing that it took a while to get um, used to. But our September wedding obviously got COVID cancelled because we went into lockdown at the end of August. Oh, amazing. Um, so we rescheduled it for November. We're still in lockdown then, so rescheduled it again. So we just ended up having God, this random, I can't. Yeah, it was, it was a nightmare. I can't even. But um, ended up having this random six months where we were used to being on birth control forever and we just weren't, and we truthfully just weren't trying that hard not to have a baby. So kind of mucked yeah. up my cycle tracking once, woke up and was like, <laughs> pretty sure I just ovulated and went out with some friends. I was joking like, lol, maybe I'm pregnant. Um, it, <laughs> this was like the start of December. So going into like that Christmas season where you're out drinking all the time. So in the back of my mind, I was like, yeah. oh, I better check. Well, I better be a bit careful about yeah. this. So I took one of those early detection tests that they reckon can tell you from like 14 days afterwards or something negative. So I was yeah. like, oh, no worries. I can continue going with my life. <laughs> those things are not accurate. If anyone <laughs> is trying to trust those, don't. Um, because about two weeks later, we were on holiday in Queenstown. In that two weeks, I'd been out for all sorts of work functions um, just living my life. We did a day of wine tasting and we were down in Queenstown and I was just so unbelievably tired, like a tiredness that yeah. I had never experienced before. And I thought like yeah. up until that point, I'd been like, oh, you know, it's been a couple of years of COVID. Everyone's really exhausted. End of the work year, just finished mm-hmm. work. Like, I just mm-hmm. need a good rest. But a couple of days of resting and I'm like, oh, something's not right here. And the day that we spent wine tasting, I actually didn't really drink that much because I didn't feel like it. And then we were meant to go out for dinner and we ended yeah. up, oh, should we just go back to our accommodation and have an early night? And so the next day I was like, oh, I just feel like I should take another pregnancy test. And it turned yeah, out to be yeah. positive. So my <laughs> one cycle tracking screw up and um, we had a baby. <laughs> but other than that surprise, we were like, super excited once we got our heads around it had a couple of days of walking around in the days and then we were like okay this is really happening told our families just before Christmas which was really cool um and then we got married 
at the end of January. Um, so it's kind of far enough along that most of the that first trimester, nausea had passed. I was, I think, I was about twelve weeks when we got um, married, and I'd told so we'd had our first the like dating scan to kind of know that everything yeah. looks okay at that seven or eight week mark. Um, so I'd told my bridal party and we'd obviously told our families, but hadn't told anyone else that was coming to the wedding. Um, mm. So I spent the whole day drinking LMP. I was so mentored on sugar by the end and <laughs> never touched that stuff again. Um, and it was kind of looking back now, it's like kind of cool that in the photos I'm like, oh, I look a little bit fat, but it's because I'm pregnant with Freddie, which is quite cool. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but if we were doing it again, I definitely wouldn't want to be pregnant for my wedding, but yeah. we'll never do it again. Yeah. So it was like, yeah, I guess it was like three months ahead of the schedule that we would have ideally liked. Or if we had got married in September, it would have been the perfect timing. Um, Once that was all done, the pregnancy was just fine. I hated Mm. being pregnant. I was tired the whole time. My biggest probably Mm. symptom that I had was I just had insomnia. So I basically didn't sleep from like five weeks pregnant until Freddie was born. Um, but and then you don't sleep in anyway. Yeah, exactly. So you're just exhausted going into it. But yeah, other than that, I'd never had any medical complications. So we had all the standard scans. Um, we did the NIPT test. So we found out that he was a boy at, I think, 10 or 11 weeks, which was really cool. Mm Um, 20 week scan was all great. He was growing really well. Um, I did have a couple of extra scans as well, growth scans, partly because I was measuring quite small. So at all of the scans, he was fine, but I was on the smaller side. And I think between, from memory, 28 and 34 weeks, I actually lost weight at the point where they would want you to gain weight. So maybe an indication Mm. that my body didn't really love being pregnant. Mm. Um, Yeah, yeah. But yeah, other than that, there was kind of nothing. Um, we were under the care of a private obstetrician, um, which they were absolutely amazing. Um, the reason that we went with an obstetrician is kind of twofold. One, because of my mum's history of severe preeclampsia and the fact that she had both me and my sister early um, and nearly died having me um, because of preeclampsia. Mm. We just mm. were very aware that we were potentially higher risk because of that and that birth can go quite wrong. Yeah. Um, and because of that, I kind of had in my mind the whole time that I wanted to have a planned C-section. Um, and right. I, don't know, I feel like it's kind of sad that you have to pay for a private obstetrician in order to have that yeah. option available to you that people in New Zealand can't. Yeah. At least you want to jump through all birth. of the hopes. Yeah. And you, you know, still yeah. have to jump through a lot of those hopes, even with a private obstetrician. So it's not, mm. C-sections aren't something that they just give away because you wake up one morning and decide that you want to have one. And in some ways, that's probably the right thing. You know, we don't want everyone Mm. having a medical birth, but my husband and I definitely felt like that was sort of the best and safest option for us, given our family histories. Um, And our obstetrician was really, really supportive of that. So we sort of went through the process to get approved to do that, which was cool. Um, but we thought that would happen around maybe like 38 or 39 weeks, yeah. <laughs> not 35 and something. Um, but yeah, that was kind of the pregnancy story. We got through to yeah, 35 and 6. Everything was looking pretty straightforward. I had finished work a couple of days earlier and lots of people had said that I was finishing way too 
early and what would I do with my time? Mm. Um, but I had four weeks of annual leave that I needed to use. I was like, I might yeah. as well use that before yeah. I um, am actually officially on mat leave and getting um, the mat leave payments. And we were moving house as well. So we were doing mm. some quite major renovations that we'd been planning for a couple of years on our house that ideally would have been uh, started six months earlier and finished by the time we had a baby. Um, but like all building projects, they were due to start the following week on the Monday. Yeah. So this was the Wednesday yeah. that I went into labour. Um, so we had kind of planned that we'd pack up our house, we'd move it. We're moving into a self-contained apartment that was above my parents' garage. Um, so mm -hmm. we'd have time to pack up I'd be able to get everything sorted all of the baby stuff sorted wash all the clothes you know all of those nesting things mm -hmm. that you do in those couple of weeks before you have a baby um we had our scan on that morning of the 35 and 6 on the Wednesday morning everything was looking great um Jeremy went to work I went home picked up the dog we went down to the park down the road um, and I was walking around the park and I was like I feel like I just peed myself a little bit. <laughs> it was kind of a surprise because up until that point, I hadn't had any pelvic floor issues. So I was like, oh, yeah. I guess I'm just starting to lose control of my pelvic floor. Like 35 weeks pregnant, it probably makes sense. So I keep on walking with like wet underwear and pants. And it just kept on happening just a little bit more mm. every few steps. I'm like, this, I've really lost control of my pelvic floor here. This is really embarrassing. But I finished the walk because obviously the dog needs walk. By this time, we used to laugh that our dog had a problem with his paws, with his wrists. He's eight, so he's old. Um, and the two of us would yeah. like hobble around, me pregnant. And with his <laughs> wrists. We must have just looked like the saddest sight. So we finished the sad walk, got home, and I changed my pants and my underwear and sat down in bed and said, oh, like read a book or something and stood up about maybe mm. an hour later and it happened again and I was like oh peed myself again <laughs> this is so strange and it's not like how they describe it though way like they always say it's like a gush or yeah, you hear a pop wasn't for a me gush. it was not there like was that no pop it was like no just a little bit of fluid but over and over again every time I sort of yeah. moved in a certain way so changed, yeah. got changed again sat down again I'll well, just see what happens here so Jeremy got home from work and once he'd been home he like kind of gets home and potters he's a real active relaxer so he would have gone to the garage and started doing something and started packing <laughs> and maybe about an hour later he comes upstairs and I'm like hey I'm just slightly concerned that I've been leaking fluid for a few hours and he's like, well, yeah. have you called the obstetrician? And I'm like, <laughs> no, I'm just telling you now. It was like, well, we should probably do something about this. I'm like, sure, okay. Yeah. And I was like, well, I don't really know. Like, maybe I'm just peeing myself. Maybe we're overreacting here. Like, should we just wait yeah. and see? And um, my sister-in-law, so my husband's sister, had actually had her waters break at 32 weeks with her little boy. She yeah. managed to keep him in until like close to 37 weeks actually but had had the whole going into hospital confirming it was happening bed rest so he called her initially and was like hey I just want to know what it was like when your waters broke and she described what happened and he's like okay that's exactly what's happening with Ash I think that we will call the obstetrician so yeah. call the obstetrician and they're like yeah obviously straight away come into Auckland hospital um so they've always got someone on call there who can see you so we kind of yeah. pack up our stuff 
pretty quickly and drove over and the hospital was super full um, like it probably mm. always is now so there were no rooms in either of the Auckland Hospital maternity wards but I guess the mm-hmm. benefit of having that private obstetrician is they do kind of throw their weight around a wee bit and I ended up with a birthing yeah. suite um, where <laughs> I, I spent the night in the birthing suite but they, so we went in there, it was maybe like 8pm by the time we got in there and got seen. I confirmed, yes, your waters have broken. But at that point, I wasn't in labour. Um, so because yeah. I was 35 and 6 at that point, they said, you know, if you were full term, if you were after 37 weeks, we'd be saying you've got basically like 36 hours to go into labour or we're inducing you um, or mm. C-section or whatever. Um, but because you're not, at that point, we actually want to leave the baby in for as long as we can. So pretty much mm. you're just here now. You're not going home until this baby comes. But mm. that might ideally be at least a week away. So I was like, well, I guess I live in this birthing suite now. <laughs> they don't have the I hope no one wants to give birth in here. <laughs> exactly. And you can hear all of the other women giving birth in the room <laughs> next door. It's not the most relaxing of environments or the comfiest of beds. Um, but so I like, kind of got set up in there, put my pyjamas on. Um, and they were like, yeah, just like settle in for the long haul. And at that point, Jeremy was like, well, do you want me to stay? And I was like, well, there's nothing happening, Mm. so why don't you just go home and get some sleep? So he left, Mm. and within maybe like an hour of him leaving, all of a sudden I had like that horrific bloody show, which I didn't Mm. know was a thing. So I was like, is is there something terribly Mm. wrong? Rang the midwives, and they're like, oh, no, that's just completely normal. Um, Just keep doing what you're doing. But they were like, that's probably a sign that something's going to happen sort of sooner rather than later. Yeah. Um, and I started having contractions pretty soon after that. But the midwives were really weird. And because I wanted to, like, because I was sort of, like, approved for a planned C-section, my obstetricians had said they want to know as soon as there's any sign of anything happening because in order for that mm. planned C-section, well, like, it would be an emergency C-section in the situation. Yeah. But in order for that to be an option, you kind of have to make the call earlier rather than later. Yeah. Yeah, and so the midwives are kind of under instructions to keep them updated, and you know, call the midwives and let them know um, if there's anything happening. So I, kept, so I was buzzing them, being like, "I think I'm having contractions," and they just kept saying, "Like, no, you're not. Like, you're definitely not in labour. You're fine." I was like, "I'm in, oh, I'm in quite a." They do that. Yeah, it was really bizarre. I'm like, "I'm in quite a lot of pain," and they just like, chucked some Panadol at me, and were like, "Basically, yeah. see you in the morning." <laughs> I had the same what thing. Is this, what is this meant to do? One gave me. One gave me a sleeping tablet, and I was like, is this a joke? Like, I can't sleep. Like, are you kidding? Yeah, so that was kind of weird. And so I just spent the whole night being like, I'm pretty sure I'm in labor, but everyone's telling me I'm not, so whatever. Mm. I spent probably, like, two hours of it in the shower because that was the only place where I was comfortable, mm. just, like, sitting on the ground in this horrible hospital shower. Um, and it got to about 4 a.m. and I rang Jeremy and was like, hey, I really want you to come back in, not because there's necessarily anything happening, but because I'm really uncomfortable and I don't really want to be here by myself. So he yeah. jumped up, had a shower and came in. So he was there probably by 5 a.m. The um, obstetricians yeah. came around at, like, 7 a.m. I think they did their rounds and they were ropeable. The midwives hadn't let them know that anything was happening because they were like, you're quite yeah. clearly in labour and you've quite clearly been in labour for a while now. I was like, yeah. yeah. So within 
they were really awesome. Within like 10 minutes, there was an anaesthetist in there giving me my epidural, which was amazing. Full respect yes. to anyone who goes through a birth without an epidural. I know. I am not I... cut from the stuff to do that. No, me either. I was not coping. Yeah, yeah, I was the same. And then it just goes in and it's suddenly like, oh, I can't feel anything. So all of a sudden yeah. everything calms down again and it's like, oh, we do have time to make some decisions. They did like the observation thing to see how far dilated I was. And at one point they were like, you're nine centimetres dilated. We have to get this baby out now. And then they looked again and they were like, you're three centimetres dilated. <laughs> how do you, <laughs> That's a really big how difference. Do you screw yeah, so it was almost like... <laughs> Panic stations all go, no, wait, we're back to not panic stations. But I was just like, man, I have been in so much pain for so many hours and I'm only three centimetres dilated. Yeah. How does anyone do it? Yeah, yeah. So at this point, they were kind of like, we need to make a decision now about whether you're going to have a C-section or you're going to try for a natural labour. And it was kind of completely, my obstetrician was supportive either way you make the decision yeah. and <laughs> although we'd gone through the whole decision making process all of the risks and benefits and everything and been really firm in the decision right up until that point I had this moment of like I don't know whether it was like a mum guilt or like maternal weakness mm-hmm. thing where I was like, oh maybe I should just be trying for a natural birth maybe it's the right thing to do so I just started crying and was like I don't know what to do <laughs> and it was Jeremy who was like Ash we've talked about this so much you've already made your decision why are you second guessing yourself now I was like yeah yeah that was the advocacy that I needed to be like okay (laughs) you're right let's just do this so we were prepped for surgery went in um it was all like super calm and really nice experience kind of other than the fact I'd been in labor it was exactly what I imagined the c-section experience would be obstetrician was lovely, anaesthetists were lovely, all the nurses around. Um, Jeremy was standing next to me in the surgery, so anaesthetist on one side, Jeremy on the other side, which was really nice. Um, And when our baby was ready to be born, our obstetrician made him stand up and take a photo, which was (laughs) apparently kind of gruesome, but actually really cool. I'm really glad that they got him to do that. Um, So he came out at 9.30am, screamed as he came out, which was nice to hear. Um, and then they yeah. take them over to like the table away from you. Mm. And it was quite clear there was something going on, but I was on the table, so I couldn't mm. really see. Um, but he was having some trouble breathing then. Um, and up until this point, we hadn't really known whether we would need to go to NICU or not. So like 36 yeah. week is they're kind of like right on the cusp where some of them come out like full-term babies and are just fine yeah. and other ones come out like almost acting like an earlier baby um, and need quite a Mm. bit of support. And unfortunately, Freddie was the latter, so he did need quite a Mm. bit of support. Um, So he, they kind of managed to stabilise him enough to like wrap him up and bring him up for a photo. So him and I have a little photo with our heads next to each other. But (laughs) when you look at it now, he's quite blue in the photo. So it was quite obvious that he wasn't going to be without breathing support for very long. So they sort of took the photo, whisked him away, um, and said at that point, he's going to go down to NICU. Jeremy went with him, so I went into recovery by myself, which was, mm-hmm. I mean, you probably had a similar experience with your babies, but super weird going in there, and there's like people around, you can hear them with their babies, and you're just being milked yeah. by a nurse. Yep. Did that happen to you? Yes. <laughs> like, I'm all and alone. And it's always the way. I think, 
I think it's just such a motherly thing. Like straight away, we're like you to to your partner. You have to go with the baby. Like you you have oh, to stay 100%. with the baby. I'm fine. Yeah. <laughs> when in reality, we've just given birth. Like yeah. obviously, we're not fine. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I felt like I was as fine as I was going to be. You know, the surgery had yeah. all been really straightforward and everything. Um. But yeah, just so bizarre. I'm having like this horrific cheese and chutney sandwich, which I can never <laughs> face another cheese and chutney sandwich in my life after the time in hospital. Mine was the egg egg sandwich. Oh, yuck. I hate eggs. So <laughs> that would have been my worst nightmare. It was like the first thing I'd eaten in 24 hours. So probably that sandwich yeah. was quite nice. And yeah, being milked by this nurse to get like a couple of drops of colostrum out and being so yeah. excited that there was anything. And I remember one of the yeah. nurses said to me like, oh, have you got some syringes of colostrum? And I'm like, no, no. I'm only I'm 36 weeks. weeks. <laughs> and they're like, oh. And it's almost like there's no communication about what your situation is. You yeah. just end up yeah. in recovery with everyone else, with the nurses. Um, but, yeah, they were really nice. And then so once, I don't know how long you stay in there, that day is all a massive blur. But they wheeled me mm. in the bed up to NICU, which was cool. So, it meant I got to see Freddie in his incubator, or we hadn't named him at that point, so he was just baby of Ashley, I guess. Um, yeah. So I kind of wheeled past, said sort of, hi, baby, that's my baby, took a couple <laughs> of photos through the incubator, and then went to the maternity ward, which is just down the hallway in Auckland Hospital. Yeah. Um, I was in a shared room with another lady and her baby, which was mm-hmm. kind of strange. She actually, we were sharing a bathroom, she kind of had to come through my part of the room to get to the bathroom mm. never said hi to me once the whole time we were there <laughs> so mm. we shared a room for I want to say like at least three days because she was still in there when I left oh my gosh. <laughs> yeah it was really bizarre well I, I did feel for her because she had she was in the hospital it was COVID time so um yeah like it's kind of that late COVID time when like your husband yeah. was able to come in, but you weren't able to have other visitors and no kids were allowed in the hospital. And so she had older children yeah. who yeah, I could hear her talking yeah. to them on the phone and stuff. Um, but yeah, so I was just in the room and then they got me up and walking by like 7 p.m. that night, which I think is something they try and do mm. after C-sections is really get you up and moving, which was great because it meant that then as soon as I was up and walking, I was able to go backwards and forwards to NICU. Um, yeah. That night... I think Jeremy wheeled me down in a wheelchair. After that mm. night, we were never able to find another wheelchair in the maternity unit. Mm-hmm. So I was just walking back and forth, which a lot of the nurses and midwives were telling me off for doing too much walking. But You're not going to not go see yeah, baby. Well, exactly. It was like, well, what's my other option? Like, there's no way to wheel yeah. me down. And also, I actually think it was really good in terms of getting me yeah. moving. I feel like the worst thing that you could do would be to just lie in bed and not move yeah. the whole time. Um, so yeah, that was kind of the whole birth. We so at I'm trying to think about when we when I properly met Freddie, it would have been that night once I was up and moving. So I think about eight thirty, yeah. um, Jeremy wheeled me down to Niku, and we were able then to get him out of his incubator for the first time and do skin to skin, um, which I know like for a lot of people who have babies that are more premal, more unwell, that's like a milestone that comes a lot later. So we were really lucky to get that yeah. on day one. Um, he was sort of well enough. He was on CPAP at that point and a lot of monitoring. He was on a drip and a lot of monitoring because he had a bit of sugar issues like a lot of them do. 
um, yeah. but kind of well enough that we could handle him. So they showed us how to get him in and out of the incubator and they were quite happy for us to do that. Um, had an NG tube in. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, had a cuddle. We decided on his name, which was Freddie, um, which was actually not the name that the whole way through the pregnancy we had planned on giving him. So we had another name. What was the name? Um, it was going to be Felix. So not right. too far off, but Felix seemed too fun for this tiny baby in an incubator. Angus, Angus, our singleton, was Freddie for ages. Oh. For my pregnancy, he was Freddie. Um, but then my mother-in-law was like to my husband, "You know that we used to have a cat called Freddie." So that kind of put us <laughs> off. <laughs> yeah, he was Freddie. I, I was like set on it until we changed changed our mind. It's funny how that happens. Eh? Yeah, it is funny how it happens. Like Freddie was, to be honest, it was probably my favourite name the whole time. Yeah. Um, but Jeremy's family had like a family friend called Freddie so they did have a bit right. more of an association with the name so it wasn't his preference mm. to use it so we, yeah we decided on Felix and decided on the middle names and everything and then yeah once we met him we were just like that name isn't right it's too fun for this yeah. serious little sick guy who's in the incubator so yeah to a slightly yeah. more serious name um, and we love it now so I think it was different I guess yeah. they they all grow into their names don't they but we're really happy with he that. does look like a freddy though i know he really does it's like he does and a fred when he's being like extra goofy <laughs> fred stuff exactly um but other than obviously the prematurity your birth was pretty much what you'd wanted how you how you envisioned it yeah it was it was pretty much exactly um how i wanted it to be I mean, other than obviously him going off to Niku, it would have been nice if we could have stayed together yeah. afterwards. But yeah, we're really lucky with um, the way that I think our obstetricians supported us and advocated for us. Um, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so he was in Niku for, what was it, nine days? Yes. Yeah. So he was in Niku for was nine he, days in total. Was he having breathing issues pretty much the whole time you were there? No, he wasn't. So he, um, so day one and two, he was in an incubator on CPAP. I think he came off from memory mm -hmm. off CPAP around maybe the afternoon of day two or the morning of day three. Um, and at the yeah. same time, that was when they transitioned him into a cot um, yeah. in the NICU room. So at that point, his blood sugars had pretty much stabilized and his breathing had stabilized. And within, right. I think, probably by the morning of day four, basically all of the monitoring was off. So he didn't have any of the wires mm -hmm. connected to him or anything. Um, and he was just yeah. like a feeder and grower then. Right. Um, yeah. And we were actually really, really lucky in Auckland Hospital. So up until day four, I was still in the maternity ward. I think they, although they were really full, they just didn't seem that keen to move me on. And then it turned out, mm. um, so they've got this unit that's kind of halfway in between the NICU and the maternity ward in Auckland Hospital called Fatinga or a Pepe, um, which kind of roughly mm -hmm. translates to like babies transitioning to wellness. So it's a NICU starship unit. Um, right. Pretty much for... I think it's really targeted at like 35, 36 week babies that need additional support, but not the intensive yeah. um, NICU level where yeah. you get a private room, double bed, your own bathroom, and you kind of can room in 
but for a longer period than the standard like couple yeah. of nights that you'd do at the end of NICU. Um, so yeah. we were lucky enough to get a room in there day four, um, and that unit mm-hmm. is so it's staffed by NICU nurses and paediatricians. So the nurses are on like you've got a 24-7 nurse assigned to the couple of rooms mm. in the same way that you would to incubate a bed in NICU. Um, the paediatrician's mm. round a couple of times a day. So in that sense, it's still quite similar, but it's much more like family whānau-led approach. So we were basically taking the lead amazing. with Freddie's care. Jeremy was able to move in there. So before that, he'd been yeah. going home, <laughs> trying to frantically pack our house and move, coming in in the mm. morning, coming back in the evenings and having dinner with me and stuff. Um, but because we're in a shared room, he wasn't able to stay in the hospital. Um, so that was really nice yeah. for the three of us to be together. Freddie was in his yeah, hot yeah. room as well, but still with you know, all that support. He still had his NG tube in. Um, we had started mm-hmm. to try breastfeeding at that point, but um, he was not a natural breastfeeder, um, which yeah. I think is pretty common for prem babies. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, we were basically just trying to figure that out. He lost quite a lot of weight in those first few days. So he was, uh, from memory, he was about 2.8 kgs. Um, when he was born and he lost about 400 grams mm-hmm. in the time we were in hospital. So like yeah. basically 15% of his body weight, which is heaps when they're that yeah. small. Um, yeah. So we were breastfeeding. We were topping him up with his NG tube the whole time. I was pumping every three hours. Um, we did give him some formula as well. Um, mm-hmm. I think only when he was still in the proper NICU, though, they recommended that right. his blood sugars were not quite right as kind of the only way you're going to get him off the drip is by using formula until your milk comes in. So if you want any time right. going yeah. home anytime soon, basically we recommend giving formula. So we were fine with that. We did that. My milk came in, um, so I kept pumping, and he transitioned to yeah, mostly expressed breast milk through his NG tube. Um, and we were trying to breastfeed, but we just weren't really having much luck. So he had a terrible latch and he um, mm-hmm. he really just couldn't figure out like the suck swallow thing. So he just, it didn't mm. really seem like he was transferring milk. So we had amazing support um, from both the nurses and the lactation consultants in the hospital. So I had like, people standing over me, like manipulating me the whole time, <laughs> quite confronting, but pretty incredible that they dedicate those resources to you um, yes yeah. pretty much all the time that you're there we saw someone multiple times a day I'd like be able to ring yeah. the bell when I was breastfeeding anytime and basically have someone come down um so that was really cool um we had thought when we went into this um transitional unit that we would be there for maybe like one or two days um mm. It turned out to be five days in there, which mm. felt like a really long time. I know compared to a lot of people's NICU experiences, that like total nine days isn't that long. Um, but it definitely yeah, but it drags, was, though, right? it dragged so much. And, and especially I, when it's only something as little as feeding, yeah, you know, you feel like you're there forever. So, yeah, and I had that. been in hospital since the Wednesday the week before so by the time we left I'd been in hospital yeah. for like 10 days hadn't seen yeah daylight our room didn't mm. have like an opening window or mm. fresh air so like my nose was really sore from the air conditioning and stuff so I was going a bit crazy by that point I guess like hormones as well we were pretty desperate to get yeah. home and that was probably the frustrating part was that we felt like we had this baby who in many ways 
was fine. He didn't need monitoring. He didn't need any sort of really medical support. He just wasn't very good at feeding. And no one ever talked to us about options other than breastfeeding, really. So he had the NG tube in and they were like completely committed to us being able to breastfeed him in order to be able to go home. And we, like, although I really wanted to breastfeed, we also wanted to bottle feed him as well because we wanted Mm. Jeremy and our families to be involved in that feeding. And that was always our plan. Um, Mm. So we were a bit frustrated in terms of this isn't what our life is going to be like when we go home. I'm not going to be exclusively breastfeeding this baby when we go home. So why are we sitting in hospital trying to make that happen? Had you asked before that point if you could express in... We actually hadn't. So we were getting frustrated. And maybe in hindsight, probably it was a little bit on us as well around the communication. But we just sort of talked to ourselves and our family about how frustrated we were that they weren't letting us bottle Mm. feed him. In hindsight, we never asked if we could bottle feed him. So (laughs) maybe they would have let us. But I actually, it's all a bit blurry, but I think we had a bottle and we secretly bottle fed him a couple of times (laughs) without telling Um, and then I think finally I like broke down to one of the pediatricians about well he actually one of the pediatric registrars came into the room when I was on the phone to my mum and I was crying to my mum and complaining about the fact I was basically in prison and they were never gonna let me go home (laughs) and so he obviously he was really awkward and like oh I'll um I'll come back later but when he came back later (laughs) he then started asking questions about do you want and at that point I broke down and said yeah can we just bottle feed him and they were actually really supportive at that point so I don't know whether there's a thing where they're not really allowed to suggest it to you but if you express interest in it then they can support you and help you to do it so that was kind of it seems to be like that the way with the twins we had um my milk was never like I never had a great supply but pretty much straight away I had to sign this freaking like Form to say that they were allowed to have a dummy, a bottle, formula, and donor milk. But everyone else I've talked to from different units, or even in being in the same unit, we're in Waikato in the same unit at a different time, they've, they've not had that like opportunity. They've mm. not been asked if they want formula or they want a bottle feed. It's just like breastfeeding until the parents bring up the bottle feeding. Yeah, that was definitely the sense that we got is once we said that Mm -hmm. that was our plan when we went home, they were like, oh, well, that's really great. That seems like a really sensible idea when your baby's not that good at breastfeeding. Mm -hmm. Like, Let's let's get him Mm -hmm. taking a bottle. And that was awesome. But I do kind of wish that we had had that conversation a couple of days earlier. And yeah, but even if you hadn't, if you hadn't brought it up, surely they would have seen that he was struggling and that you were struggling and been like, "Mm, maybe we could try breast milk in a bottle. Same, same right yeah I don't know it would be really interesting to know do they have a time frame that they sort of give you to figure it out um but anyway so yeah we we started bottle feeding him which meant that um we weren't so reliant on the ng tube obviously because prior to that we were topping him up with the ng tube every feed so Mm. this meant that we could breastfeed him and then top him up with the bottle most of the time we were just using the ng tube Mm. I think overnight at that point and then randomly one nurse just came in and was like so you guys are going home tomorrow? And we were like, are we? <laughs> <laughs> Seems like 
like a classic Nikki thing that happens to people. And yeah. she's like, yeah. It's always just sprung on you. Yeah, she's like, well, if Freddie gain- gains 20 grams, you guys get to go home tomorrow. And we're like, Freddie's not gained any weight any day up until now. He's lost yeah. weight every day. Yeah. So, um, but we were so desperate to get home by this point. So we just absolutely pumped him with milk for 24 hours. Yeah. They came in and waited. Yeah. I think he'd gained like 30 grams. Like he'd absolutely smashed the target that they set. Um, so we, yeah. Packed up and put him in the capsule, which is like this tiny little baby going in the capsule. Yeah. And going Finally got to go home, which was really cool. Amazing. Um, kind of surreal. But it felt like yeah. a really long time. Looking back now, nine days is not that long in the life of your baby, but yeah. it definitely drags when you're in hospital and when yeah. you yeah. – I feel like you get a lot of mixed messages about how long you'll be there. Like when we first – went mm. in a lot of people were making comments about us being there for a couple of days and then sort of a couple of days turned into maybe a week the day before the nurse had said you guys are going home the previous nurse that we said we had actually asked how much longer do you think we'll be in there in here she said, oh mm. no it's really hard to say and it could be another couple of weeks and mm. at that point we're like what <laughs> we mm. could be in here for another couple of weeks um but luckily, they always yeah, give you like two sides of it like I remember the doctors always would say to us like you know the babies are usually here until their due date they're, they're here till their due date blah blah and then the next day they'd be like well you know babies don't follow the book I'm like but you just told me that we're going to be here till our due date yeah like, is that not that, following the book yeah that's pretty much exactly the story like yeah this nurse the day before mm. was like well you know he's only 37 and a half weeks so it could be another couple of weeks until he's ready to go home mm. versus yeah this next nurse who's like you guys are fine. You guys have been looking after him great. Like, you'll be okay at home. Yeah. <laughs> well, cool. Um, but, I mean, overall, our NICU experience was pretty incredible. Like, the nurses were all yeah. amazing. The doctors were really great. Um, I think getting the time in the transitional unit, even though it felt like a long time, yeah. the stuff that we learnt and the support that we got there um, was second to none. We also had, um, we'd been planning to go to birth care in Auckland and I don't know what it's like where you are, but the Auckland birth care is kind of weird in that if you want a private room, you have to pay for it. And it's quite expensive. It's like six or $700 a night, um, for a private room. You can go for free and have a room shared with three other people, but, so it's kind of like hospital. Sounds like a hospital. Yeah, and it is. That's exactly yeah. what it's like. It's like a hospital, but with the like, midwives supporting you. So if you want your husband to, or partner to be able to be in the room with you and stay overnight, you have to pay for this private room. So that's we had, weird. you know, we had planned to spend like fourteen or fifteen hundred dollars going to birth care, yeah. and we got that support and so much more in um, yeah. the NICU transitional unit without having to pay anything. Yeah not having to do that which was awesome and yeah got silver um, lining the nurses were also lovely they you know they taught us how to dress him and bath him and swaddle him and um a few mm. tips and tricks for how to soothe him and the amount of time that we got to spend basically being a family in the room doing pretty much everything ourselves yeah. all of the nappy changes and all of that stuff um I do think it set us up really well for when we went home which is the point of the unit so I feel really lucky were you allowed to have visitors other than your husband um so at the point where I was going crazy and broke down 
um, they then decided to tell us we could have one additional visitor. So my mum was allowed oh to come God. for the last couple of days. Yeah. Um, so I don't know whether that That's was good. a special case for me because they were like, this girl needs someone <laughs> <laughs> or, or whether um, that was just the rule and no one had told us because it's kind of a weird yeah you're like literally smack bang in the middle of the mat- between the maternity unit and NICU. So there's right. more on one side of you that goes into the NICU unit, which is at this point like totally locked down, parents only. You have to do a COVID yeah. test yeah. Be- and sit outside for 15 minutes before you can go in. Um, and then the maternity mm. unit, which is a little bit more chill, is like the door on the other side. Um, mm. So, yeah, it's like somewhere in between, and so the visiting rules seemed to be somewhere in between as well. But, yeah, it was nice for mum to be able to come mm-hmm. um, and yeah. meet Freddie while we were in there. Uh, but she ended up, I think, only doing that, like, the day before we went home anyway. Yeah. Um. So he got to go home. Did he – he didn't have any, um like, blood sugar issues or anything after you were discharged? No, no, he was good after we were discharged. So got his NG tube out the day before we were discharged. Mm-hmm. Um, he had a little bit of jaundice, but not bad enough that he ever had to go under the lights. So that just kind of resolved itself mm-hmm. over time. He just had, like, a little tan for the first couple of weeks. Yeah. Um, he had a ginormous umbilical hernia, which looked oh, no. horrific and – Everyone told me, oh, it'll be gone by six months. And I just would look at this thing and go, there is no way this thing is going down by six months. That giant lump in the middle of his stomach. And you could hear it like when he ate, it gurgled. It was really gross. Um, But it did go down by six months. Um, It it got bigger after we went home. So it grew probably for the first like uh, eight weeks after we were home and then started gradually going down after that. Um, But his main... I guess looking back, like he had no health issues really, and we're lucky that he's like a super happy, healthy, ginormous toddler now. Um, but mm-hmm. he was really just not ready to be in the world. So I think that mm. you know, that four weeks early just makes such a difference in terms of he was so overwhelmed by the world mm. he was obviously a terrible feeder so he was exhausted all the time from us trying to get him to breastfeed and then having to top him up and it was all a bit of a saga his digestive system mm. was just absolutely atrocious so he was super gassy and had quite bad reflux as well um so he was yeah. when we got him home pretty much just a baby that screamed mm. anytime he was awake um so that was pretty Amazing. hard to be honest um, yeah, like a colicky, yeah. refluxy baby slept for like max two hours at a time, um, woke mm. up screaming bloody murder anytime he woke up. And I remember talking to like mm. mums in my mum's group and they'd be like, oh yeah, like we wake up in the morning and then like my husband mm. and my baby and I just like chill in bed. And I was like, I literally cannot imagine just chilling with my baby next to me because mm. there is no mm. chill about this baby. Like he's either no. feeding or screaming or asleep and there was no in between yeah. um and everyone like you know everyone told us that it would get better with time and that like mm. colic is just a phase and colicky babies most of them are better between like eight and 12 weeks and as much as you wanted to believe them we had days where we were like our baby is the one that won't get better enough. yeah which was yeah i mean that that was really hard and i probably found like that kind of fourth trimester harder than I had expected it was going to be. 
Um, I didn't. I didn't go into it thinking it was all like easy and happy and rainbows. And I, I've got nieces and nephews, mm. and I know that that's hard. But definitely, with a colicky baby, it was like I feel like every baby's hard, but some people's babies are just a little bit harder. And mine was one of the yeah, yeah. harder ones. But super lucky that yeah. we had a lot of support from our families. Jeremy was hard yeah, for. Yeah. I think he had four weeks off work on full pay, which was really lucky. Um, so he was home at that time, but then it was kind of that like four to seven or eight week period once he was back at work where like your baby's woken up to the world and you're suddenly like, oh, like, I'm home by yeah. myself trying to figure out how to keep this thing alive and feed it. And the biggest like couple of game changers for us were we got a prescription for omeprazole around like seven weeks, um, had a different yeah. baby within 48 hours. So um, literally oh, two good. days later. Because I know for some people it does nothing for some babies yeah and it was so we managed to see our gp referred us to a pediatrician who um he couldn't get us in but he had a phone consultation with me and could obviously hear that i was just at my absolute wits end at this point um and he said yeah some babies are just colicky and scream and it's not reflux and it's not anything medical and there's nothing you can do um but there's really no harm in us doing an omeprazole trial and seeing what happens so i'll give you a prescription for four yeah. weeks you should know within a week whether it's going to make a difference for your baby or not and if it does make a difference yeah. then we, we can talk about what long term looks like and i mean luckily for us it what made an amazing difference so kind of confirmed that reflux was definitely the main part of freddie's problem like he wasn't yeah. perfect from that moment still had the like witching hour screaming still he was still definitely a bit of an overwhelmed, exhausted baby, but the like painful cry, the waking up screaming, that stopped pretty much straight away. We all of a sudden, he like started smiling within a couple of days of mm. getting on the omeprazole. Mm. We got that relaxed time where he wasn't screaming, where you could have a cuddle with him yeah. and actually kind of enjoy yeah. the time, which was really nice. Um, and definitely like much needed by that point eight weeks in um it's interesting to think though because obviously you know reflux comes quite often from having an immature gut like I wonder if he had been born at term if you wouldn't have had yeah it would, those issues. It would be interesting to know um I also had really bad reflux as a baby so right. potentially a genetic thing and I actually take omeprazole every day as an adult um so it might, yeah. It I might don't know. Be I was pregnant. That he would always have. Oh, it was so bad when I was pregnant. Yeah. It's just yeah. I have to take it it's horrific. So I know how painful uh, how painful reflux is and how much of a game changer it yeah. can be. Which is why I. It's probably why I pushed so hard to get him on it, knowing that you know, it's not like a scary medication. It's actually something that can be really helpful. Yeah. Um. So that was awesome. Yeah. He was on that until. We tried to get him off it around five months and we could tell he was much worse on the days that he didn't have it. So at that point he wasn't ready, but mm. by seven months he was completely off it, um, which they say is pretty mm, common yeah. Like at that point where they transition to sort of having enough solid food that yeah, you know, stuff just isn't coming up and their digestive system is a bit more developed as well. Um, so yeah that was probably the hardest thing and then the other game changer was around the same time I decided to completely stop breastfeeding and transitioned him to formula so I'd been doing up until that point like a lot of pumping express breast milk we were mm. still doing mm. some triple feeding so trying to feed him a couple of times a day but he just by this point 
not only did he not get it, but he didn't really want to get it either because it was obviously too common. Mm. You know, like he could get the milk from the bottle. Yeah. Right? And I actually, um, when he was about five weeks old, this is a really weird story, I went to a DHB lactation consultant who looked me dead in the eye and said, your baby is very unusual and there's nothing I can do for you. <laughs> Very what does that even mean? I know. It was it was actually like I laugh about it now, but I was really upset at the time. I was in this appointment by my child. Yeah. Um and she told me that my baby was very unusual because like normal babies know how to do this basically and your baby's not normal. So I was like, Well, there's something wrong with our baby, like this is yeah. a major problem. He's very unusual. We like I was in a major panic about that, to be honest. Um mm. and that was like kind of sad because I went to that service trying to support our breastfeeding journey and truthfully that was probably the end of the journey because I was told that there was basically no hope for us and maybe there was no hope maybe he was never going to pick it up but the way that that was kind of communicated to me I thought was quite inappropriate um and we actually ended up getting him getting Freddie into a pediatric ENT specialist um, just to get everything assessed because we were worried at this point he's really unusual. And this ENT specialist was amazing mm. and confirmed, no, there's nothing unusual about this baby. He's just, he's mm. a prem baby. So although he's five weeks old, mm. he's actually like a fresh newborn. Um, and obviously mm. whoever you saw has absolutely no idea anything about prem babies because if she did, she would know that there's nothing mm. unusual about a one-week-old baby who hasn't figured out how to latch and suck and swallow yet. Yeah, um, yeah. It takes time. So that was really good that we were able to do that. Um, But, yeah, that was kind of the end of our breastfeeding journey. We switched to formula, and I have no regrets at all about it. Now, in hindsight, Mm. it was totally the right decision. But, yeah, once we got that sorted, things have been great. We have the coolest little 13-month-old guy who, like, developmentally, he's pretty much met all his milestones. So we found, like, the... I don't know what it's like having an earlier prem baby, obviously, but I found having like that four weeks early was like a little bit of a mind fuck and not knowing how you should think of him because it wasn't kind of early enough that you'd naturally like adjust for everything. So it wasn't like you looked at this baby and went like, although he's three months old, he's actually only like a couple of week old baby because he was born like three months early or whatever. He was mm, mm. just a little bit behind probably where other babies born on the same day as him would have been at any given time. So it took until like seven mm-hmm. or eight weeks for him to start smiling and like yeah, probably from a sleep perspective, he was always like more like his corrected age in those newborn stages in terms of like the mm. amount of time that he was able to be awake and then the sort of stretches that he gave us sleeping. But he definitely caught up over time so I feel like by the point where they were like rolling and sitting up and doing all that there was actually no difference between him and like other babies yeah. born yeah. around the same time which we were obviously super lucky that there were no challenges in that regard but I still have moments yeah. of like reminding myself oh no like he is actually four weeks early and technically from a mm. medical perspective they continue to correct him until he's two or three years old or something two. so he's yeah. you know, he's 13 months old he's just started walking in the last couple of weeks which is super exciting and cute mm. and it's like that's 
super, super average. Um, yeah, so other than that, he's got no ongoing No ongoing issues, challenges. Nothing. He's, he's been super normal, healthy, normal just a normal dude. little dude. Started daycare about eight weeks ago, which he's absolutely loving. I love being back at work, mm. which is really <laughs> nice mm. to have a break from parenting sometimes. Um, yeah, we're yeah. going really well. To find yourself again, eh? Like, yeah. not just being Freddie's mum. Yeah, and being Freddie's mum was really cool. And I loved my mat leave. I made really amazing friends and we had some really fun times. But by the end of the – so I think I went back to work when he was 11 months old and I was so mm. ready and it's definitely a really nice – and I like shift in gear for all of us in terms of like getting back into a life that feels a bit more like yeah. what the rest of our life will be. Oh, thank you so much for um for sharing your story. It was so lovely talking to you. That's okay. Thank you for having me. So yeah, that was um Ashley's story with Freddie, who was yeah a um a late preterm as they call them. Um, still obviously had a few wee difficulties. <laughs> Angus is uh, just playing with his loud, obnoxious train toy in the background. Um. Yeah, so still obviously had a few issues as as prem babies do. You know, he was still four weeks early. Um, but yeah, he's a little dude now. It actually turns out that um, Ashley and I are in the same due date group for Angus and Freddie. Um, and also she is uh, the sister of Courtney, who is uh, the sponsor of this episode, Premie Knitting Club, which is really cool. And I did not make the connection until she mentioned it, which is dumb of me because I knew the connection was there. But anyway, um, I hope you enjoyed this episode. I hope you enjoyed um, hearing Ashley's story. I know that uh, there will be a, probably a few people who can resonate with the late preterm short Nikki stay thing. Um, so yeah, I will chat to you next time. Bye.